0: Amen. You may be seated. And children, if you are ages, grades K through five, you may now be dismissed for junior church. In my 14 years at this church, I've had thousands of conversations with people about life, about what they're facing, about victories and failures, about suffering and healing. Thousands of conversations I've had with people about life. And I have heard hundreds of stories of lives that have been completely transformed. And I have never heard someone say, Pastor Dave, my life was totally transformed by something I bought at Target. (laughs) Never once have I heard that. But in 14 years, thousands of conversations, hundreds of testimonies, I have heard this. My life was changed. My marriage was healed. My relationship with my children or parents was restored. My desperation vanished. My addictions were overcome. My suffering was made bearable. And they end the sentence by saying Because of Jesus Christ and what he's done for me. Nothing at Target can do what Jesus did because nothing at Target can defeat death. But Jesus did. And that news, the news of Easter, can change your life as well today. We'll see that in our gospel account from Mark chapter 16. If you have a Bible, will you please turn with me to Mark chapter 16. We're going to look today at the first eight verses and see God's message for us this morning. While you're turning to Mark 16, if you don't have a Bible with you, we've reprinted the passage on the back of those bright yellow bulletins. And while you turn there, if you smell maple syrup, here's why. It's because we had a pancake breakfast at 8.30 this morning to celebrate the resurrection. And if you're asking, why pancakes? Well, why not? (laughs) It smells like victory. I'm going to start out by reading the first three verses of Mark 16. And before I do that, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Blessed be your name, O Lord. Thanks especially for the bright sunshine this morning. The sun came up in the east, but tonight it will set in the west. And your Son, Jesus, our Savior, He has risen and He will never set. He lives forever, and we will read about it today in the gospel. So as we read these words, will you change all of our hearts? Will you do for our hearts what we really desperately need and which only you can do? Will you give hope right now for the hopeless, healing for the wounded, endurance for the long-suffering, and redemption for the lost? Lord, only you can change our hearts, so we ask now that you would do this. Give us eyes to see your words, ears to hear them, and hearts to receive your message with joy and gladness. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Mark chapter 16, I'll begin by reading the first three verses. This is the glorious word of our Lord on Resurrection Sunday. When the Sabbath was past, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? Let's start there. In all of life, we face new circumstances, and two things happen. First, we have to come to terms with our new circumstances, and then we have a series of questions about those new circumstances. That's all of life. Something happens, you've got new circumstances, and then you have new questions. And on the first Easter— These three women, Mary, Mary, and Salome, arrive at the tomb of Jesus, and they're faced with the new circumstances and questions that the whole world is going to have to come to terms with because of what had happened that morning. That's life. New circumstances and then new questions. That's what life is. You get a diagnosis. That's your new circumstances. Well, then you've got questions. What are my treatment options? How will I alleviate the symptoms? You fail to make the varsity soccer team. That's your new circumstance. And your questions are, well, why did the coach's kid make the team and not me? And can I play any other sports? Right? You go to a funeral of a loved one. That's your new circumstance. And then you've got new questions. How can I live my life in such a way to honor their memory? And what am I going to do now? Circumstances and questions. On the first Easter, the whole world faced new circumstances and new questions, and these three women slowly come to realize what has happened in this world. Look again at verse 1. When the Sabbath was past, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. All right, what were their circumstances? These three women were followers of Jesus. Jesus had loved them and served them and healed them in various ways. Well, now Jesus, their leader, he's gone. He was the one who gave them hope. In fact, if I could be so bold as to say it this way, Jesus was the main character in their story. But now he was gone. He was gone. At least that's what they thought. Not only was he gone, he didn't die of old age peacefully. He was arrested and publicly executed. The powerful Roman Empire, the largest weapon in the world that day, made a display out of his death. They wanted to make a display out of his, what they thought was his failure. And so these women have questions. The first question is a very practical one. Well, we've got to buy spices because how else are we going to cover up the smell? Right? These women knew he was dead and they waited. They didn't do any work on the Sabbath. But now that the Sabbath is over, it's the first day of the week, Sunday. They take the spices they had along with the spices they bought and they go and they were going to put the spices on the body because the body was going to be stinky. They weren't buying spices. I heard one person say this. They didn't get all those spices and go to the tomb just in case he was still dead. You don't survive Roman executions. So that's their first question. It's very practical. They're in a a traumatic experience. The person they followed is dead. What are we going to do? Well, we've got to buy spices. That's all we know how to do. They probably were walking with their heads hung low. And then they get to question number two. Well, once we get there, how are we going to move the big stone out of the way? Look at verse 3. And they were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? Uh, Some Jewish tombs at the time had giant stones that would block the opening. They would roll into a slot and block the opening so only people who were allowed to get in could get in. And these three women knew that that kind of stone was so big that the three of them wouldn't have been able to move it. Right? It was an impossible circumstance. How are we going to move the, sto- the stone? So the new circumstances are Jesus is dead. Let's go mourn his loss at his tomb. And the new question is, how are we going to move the stone? And that's when they start to realize that something big has happened. Look now at verses 4 and 5. All their expectations go out the window. Verse 4. And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large, in case you forgot. Verse 5. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. So now they've got new circumstances. The unmovable stone has been moved. And this is the hint to them and to us as we're reading the gospel story that God has stepped into the story to do the impossible. Already, the unexpected and impossible has happened. The unmovable stone has been moved. God has stepped into the story. And then they have new questions. That's their new circumstance. Wow, this amazing thing has happened. And their new question is, what's this strange guy doing in the tomb? (laughs) Who is he? We were looking for Jesus, and now there's this strange guy there. Look at verse 5 again. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. So, if you know Bible language, if someone's dressed in a white robe, there's a chance that it's an angel, a messenger from heaven. Angels show up in the story as we're reading it at only the most key moments, like the birth of Jesus, there's a bunch of angels, and then here at the resurrection of Jesus, there's an angel in the story. Angels show up into the story of human history when something mega is happening, when something big is happening. Easter is when God steps into the story of the world and undoes what broke the world. So, Mary, Mary, and Salome see two amazing things. First, they see that the stone had been rolled away. And second, they see there's a man in a white robe. Well, how would you react? You lose a a friend, a, a famous teacher, you were following a historic figure, and you go to visit their tomb, and their tomb is empty, and there's someone dressed in a white robe in the tomb. How would you react? Well, there are probably many possible reactions, but it says at the end of verse 3, they were alarmed. It's actually the word for struck with terror and amazement. (gasps) What is this? What are we going to do? Oh, no. And what we come to realize on the first Easter is that these three women, the first visitors to the tomb of Jesus, the first people who get a glimpse of what really happened on Easter, at the moment, they're filled with three Emotions. Three emotions. First, they're sad because they're still mourning the loss of Jesus. Second, they're confused. Who moved the stone? And third, they're afraid. What happened? And who is this person in the tomb? What in the world is going on? And so we find as we read the Easter story that the first people who came to the tomb were filled with sadness, confusion, and fear. And I want to say this. Easter is for the people whose lives are filled with sadness, confusion, and fear. That's who Easter is for. Is your life full of sadness, confusion, or fear? Maybe over the last two years, your life has been filled with more sadness, or more confusion, or more fear. Uh, The only people I know who absolutely think the last 2 years were fantastic are Ian and Ashley Robertson, Russ and Diane Bougay, Alex and Amy Cook, and John and Bev Perkins because those are the four weddings I've done through covid. They got these big, goofy smiles on their faces all throughout the last two years. Because when they think back on the last two years, they have this wonderful moment. They're big, beautiful, goofy smiles on their faces, right? They love the last two years. Everyone else wishes we would all wake up from this dream. What happened? Well, a lot of our lives have been filled with more sadness, more confusion, more fear. Why did the women have sadness, confusion, and fear? At this point in the account, here's why. It's because Jesus had been the main character in their story. I know some other people were married too, and they have big smiles. But I didn't do your wedding, but I was praying for you that day. <laughs> and other, other weddings too, other weddings too. Why were they sad, confused, and afraid? Because Jesus was the main character in their story, and now he was dead. And here's what we realize now. They had to be the main character in their story. Now, if there was something big out there, they had to overcome it. Now, if they were going to face a trial, they had to face it without Jesus, without their leader, without who they thought was going to be the Messiah, without someone to go to for wisdom. They had to face their story alone as their own main character. The main character in their story was dead. So they had to be the main character in their stories. And they're not big enough. They weren't wise enough. They weren't sure enough. They weren't powerful enough. They were not enough to be the main character in their story. And none of us is great enough to be the main character in our story. And here's why. In every story, and your life is a story. In every story, your life is a story. The protagonist of the story has to be able to defeat The antagonist in the story, or you stop reading, or you stop watching the show. If you don't think the protagonist has any chance against the antagonist in the story, it's not a story worth living, or worth watching, or worth reading. Protagonist, good guy. Antagonist, bad guy. Let's have a little fun on Easter and practice. The Wizard of Oz. Who's the antagonist? You can say it. The Wicked Witch of the West. And who's the protagonist? Dorothy Gale and her friends, right? They go on the Yellow Brick Road. And the question in the story is can the protagonists win against the Wicked Witch of the West? How about Frozen? Who's the antagonist? Spoiler alert. Elsa, for most of the story, right? There's a spoiler alert. There's another antagonist in the story. Who's the protagonist in Frozen? Anna, the best character by far in Frozen, right? Okay, you knew this was coming. Star Wars. (laughs) Who's the main antagonist that everybody thinks of? Darth Vader. Yes, I know there's a bigger bad behind Darth Vader. Who's the protagonist? Luke Skywalker. You got it. Well done. The question when you're watching Star Wars is can Luke Skywalker defeat the big bad? Can the protagonist defeat the antagonist? Every story and your life is a story. Stories are unlivable if the protagonist cannot defeat the antagonist. So let me ask you, who is your antagonist? Who do you think your antagonist is? Some of us have very small antagonists in our story. For some of us, it's our parents. For some of us, it's people of other political views. For some of us, it's censorship. Or who's the main bad guy in the world? Is it global warming? Is it inflation? Is it bigotry? Is it Twitter? Is it Elon Musk? Is it Vladimir Putin? Who's the big bad in the world? Well, let me suggest that maybe you are one of the antagonists in your story. Maybe you realize you haven't lived up to your own standard, let alone God's standard. Maybe you have contributed to the evil and suffering in this world. Have you performed flawlessly? Raise your hand if you're perfect. Perfect. Good. If you raise your hand, I'll say, turn to your family member next to you and ask them. Have you contributed to the selfishness in this world? Have you forgiven swiftly or have you held grudges? Have you been patient or been easily frustrated? Have you treated all people with respect or sometimes you've mocked those who are different? Have you sinned just like everyone else? What we find in the Bible is that we are one of the antagonists. So we can't be the protagonist. We certainly can't beat the big bads in our world. Can you beat Putin? Any of you? Can you buy Twitter? Do you have those resources? Can you change your parents' hearts if you're a teenager and your antagonist is your parents? Can you change your parents' hearts? Can you fix your own heart? That would be hard enough, but those aren't the biggest bads. Let me ask you, can you stop evil in the world? Can you stop sin or can you defeat the final enemy in every story, death? Can you defeat death on your own? Can you go into death and come out on the other side? The protagonist in a story needs to be able to defeat the antagonist. And so far, death has defeated billions of people. Death has won the battle every single time except one time, on Easter, the first resurrection. But if you go off to college, what are you going to hear on most college campuses? If you go on social media, what are you going to see on most posts? If you read a major newspaper op-ed section, what are you going to read We're being told all the time that we have to be the main character in our story, that we have to be true to ourselves, to decide truth for ourselves, to get rid of everyone in your world who doesn't think you're awesome. That's a very lonely existence. We are supposed to say, I got this. Yeah, I don't got this. I don't got this. The reason we're talking about Jesus this morning is because I don't got this. And we can't beat sin. We can't beat Satan. We can't beat death. None of us is great enough to be the main character in our story because the problem is too big. Christians call the problem in the world sin. Sin is living in rebellion to a holy God. Sin leads to suffering and death. And we've all sinned. We've all fallen short of God's standard. And not only that, if we're being honest, we've all fallen short of our own standard too, haven't we? Sin is the problem. And death is the big bad Ending. So what is the solution? Who will defeat sin for us? Who will pay the wages of sin for us? Who will die in our place? Nothing at Target can do it. Something cannot do that, but someone can. Jesus offered to pay for the sins of everyone who called on his name. And if you're going to pay the wages of sin, you're going to have to die because the wages of sin is death. So Jesus came, the Son of God, and said, I'll pay for all the sins. I'll stand in your place. And what is it going to cost him? His life. He came to die for sinners so that we wouldn't Die when we die. If you're a sinner, Easter is for you. If your life is full of sadness, confusion, and fear, there's a risen Savior who has something in store for these three women and everyone in the world who calls on His name who are stuck in the chapter of the story full of sadness, confusion, and fear. If you're the main character in your story, tonight you're going to go to bed. With sadness, confusion, and fear, because you can't beat the antagonist in your story. But if you put your trust in Christ as the main character in your story, he has something for you for that fear, that confusion, and that sadness. These three women, Mary, Mary, and Salome, got to see that story firsthand. Now let me read verses 6 through 8 of Mark 16. This is the angel now. And he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb. For trembling and astonishment had seized them, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. New circumstances, new questions, new circumstances. The news from the angel is Jesus is risen. He's not in his tomb anymore. Go tell everyone. And now they have new questions (laughs) lots of questions. Look at verse 8. They went out and fled from the tomb. For trembling and astonishment, it seized them, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. These women with this news, have fled from the tomb. They're trembling, they're astonished, and at the end, it says they were still afraid. And they're going to stay that way, fleeing their circumstances, trembling, astonished and afraid, until they meet Jesus for themselves. And then all of that is going to be gone from their story. They do end up meeting Jesus. At our sunrise service at 6 a.m. this morning, we talked about the passage in Matthew's Gospel, and the women do meet Jesus, and he says, greetings. And all the fear leaves the story, because now they know that he truly is alive. There was a solution for sin, and death, and someone has defeated Satan. But they'll stay that way until they meet him, and we will too. Until we've met the risen Savior Jesus, we're in the chapters of the story that are full of confusion and fear and sadness, and you can't get out of that chapter until the protagonist in your story can defeat those big bads. You can't eat enough food, even though we had an attempt at it. We ate all the pancakes. You can't eat enough food to go, I'm truly satisfied in this life. You can't get enough success to wake up one day and have no more fear in your life. And you can't binge enough Netflix to say, I made it to the end. I'm finally happy. I've never heard anyone say that after binging Netflix. The women have questions until they meet Jesus. Their questions are, where is Jesus? Well, he's not in his tomb. He's not resting in peace. He's not decomposing. Right? They can keep their spices. He's not in the past. Where is he? He's gone ahead. He's made it through the death chapter in his story. He had death. He had a funeral. And now that chapter in the story of Jesus is a previous chapter. He has made it through death to new life. He has risen. And that's why we say every Easter, he is risen. You can say it. He is risen indeed. Indeed. Out in the world, we're told, be the God of our own reality. We're told to push off stories like the story of Jesus. Push off all tradition. Be true to ourselves. In a world like that, there's no way your tomb's going to be empty. If you're the main character in the story. In our stories, if Jesus isn't part of it, when we fail and fall, who's there to pick us up? When we break our own story and we all have with our sin, who's there to redeem that brokenness? Who can take broken pieces and make something beautiful? Jesus can. I can't. Who can heal wounds that go deeper than any flesh wound? Who can pay for our sins? Who can solve the big problems we can't? The world around us says, Be your own God. When we do that, the final chapter has the funeral. But Jesus invites us into his story where the great funeral is in the middle. And where death isn't the end of the story. And this resurrection truth has changed the lives of Christians. If you're a Christian, if you're following Jesus, you know this. Jesus has defeated death for you. So you can go out into this world and give yourself to others. You can serve other people sacrificially. You can pour your life out for others. You can forgive your enemies. You can love people radically. We can support those children at the Copticot Children's Home in Kenya because we know we can give all we have to love others in Jesus' name. And it'll be worth it because death isn't the end of our story. And this life is a little bit of what we have. And we have eternal life in front of us because Jesus has defeated death. He gives us abundant life now when we sacrifice our life in his name for others. And then abundant life in the new heavens and the new earth forever. A billion years from now, everyone in Christ will still be together singing his praises. And we will have just started. If Jesus is the main character in your story, then the funeral isn't the end of your story because his funeral wasn't the end of his story. If you went to look for his tomb now, I've never been there to Jerusalem, and I I know there's a debate over where Jesus had been buried. I, I don't know if there's any grave markers there, but obviously there's no tomb with his body that has a gravestone on it, so he doesn't have his own epitaph because he's not dead anymore. But I did look at some famous epitaphs on gravestones uh, online. I found a couple funny ones, and I wanted to bring them up here. The first one said, Raised four beautiful daughters with only one bathroom, and still there was love. That's a nice way to remember a parent. The second one's really interesting, really thought-provoking little sign on the tomb says this about the person buried in there. Now I know something you don't. And I thought about that for a minute. And I thought, actually, that's wrong. We can know. I've never been to Japan. There's a family in our church who's been to Japan. And they've come back from Japan and they've told me about it. I'm like, oh, cool. Japan. Wouldn't mind going one day. I've never been to France Raise your hand if you've been to France. All right, look at all of you. You've been to France and you've come back. I took five years of French. Je m'appelle David. But people who've come back from France tell me it's uh, je ne sais quoi. But they've been there and they've come back. So even though I've not been there, I can tell you what it's like. Because someone who has been there before has come back and told me all about it. Jesus did live in the first century, and he died in the first century and he went into death and death really was the end of human life until Easter because Jesus has been there and he's come back and he's told us about it. He's told us that if we have repented of our sins and trusted as him as Lord and Savior, then when we die, the tomb will not hold us either. Because the tomb could not hold his body. So, what's Easter? It's the death of death. It's the funeral for funerals. It's the end for the end. It's the final chapter of the book for final chapters of the book. And this is why the angel says when the women, Mary, Mary, and Salome, are looking for Jesus in his tomb where he had been dead, the angel says he is not here. And it doesn't just mean he's not in this tomb. The angel means to tell us that he isn't dead anymore. He defeated death. So the women thought death ends life, but the tomb was empty, proving that a life has ended death because his life was a perfect life. He's the one who lived the perfect life that none of us sinners lived. And we need someone sinless to take our place and die for us. And Jesus did, but he didn't stay dead. And he offers us his life so that we can give our lives for others. I've been here 14 years. I've had thousands of conversations with people about life. And heard hundreds of testimonies of people who have said Jesus Christ changed their life forever. Why? Because he's the one who can defeat sin, he's the one who has defeated death, he has the one who outwitted Satan. He said, I'm going to die and I'm going to be raised. And then he did. And he offers his life for yours so that you can go to bed tonight without sadness, confusion, and fear if he is the main character in your story, if he is your Lord and Savior, if you take the crown off and stop living for your own little kingdom. But if you're the main character in your story, you're in the chapters full of sadness, confusion, and fear. But Easter shows you that there's a way out of that life by the death of Jesus Christ for you. We trust in the Savior Jesus. We believe in the one who gave his life for us because he has something for those struggling with sadness, confusion, and fear. He has hope for the hopeless, joy for the joyless, strength for the suffering. And when the angel said he is not here, Yes, the angel was talking about Jesus, but you've likely heard the verse, John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. So the angel wasn't just talking about Jesus not being dead anymore. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord Jesus will make it to the next chapter after death. Because his death is in the middle of the story. And friends, that changes absolutely everything in your life. Because over the past two years, the world has grown in sadness, confusion, and fear. And over the past two years, I haven't just done four weddings. I've done six funerals. And every one of those six had trusted in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And so they are not dead. They're alive. Their funeral was in the middle of their story. And as I talked to them in their final moments before they died, all six of them to a person could say it was not a story of sadness confusion and fear it was a story of hope until the final breath because when they went to look for the body of Jesus the angel said he is not here he is risen so there is hope for you in your life if you trust in Jesus and what was said of Jesus will be true for you they are not in their tomb They are risen indeed. If Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, your death and funeral will be in the middle of your story because Easter shows us that the funeral of Christ was in the middle of his story and he brings everyone to the next chapter who has called on his name. It's going to change your life and it'll even change your death. Brothers and sisters in Christ, He is risen. risen Let me pray. Lord, we confess that sin is in this world and we've participated in it. We have all sinned and fallen short of your glory. And you look down on a world full of sin, which ends for every human in death, including for your son Jesus. You saw that world And you loved us so much that you sent your son Jesus to die in our place so that we could have everlasting life. Thank you for every heart in the room today that has heard this message, that Jesus can conquer sin, Satan, and death for them. Help all of us believe that message today. So that that abundant life and the hope-filled life of a risen Savior can be ours today before we go to bed. Drive away all sadness in Jesus' name from our stories. Lord, drive away all confusion in Jesus' name from our stories. And Lord, drive away all fear in Jesus' name from our stories as you help us trust in our risen Savior. Thank you for doing for us what we could not do for ourselves. And thank you for raising Jesus from the dead. In his name we pray, amen.